Welcome to the 50th episode of From Paper to People, also known as episode 212, because the second season has been a bit slow. My name is Carolyn Nee Lachlan, and I am your hostess with the mostess in this, the most fascinating and awesome field of all, genealogy. Happy autumn to the Northern Hemisphere. The apple cider donuts are out for all to enjoy. And I hope that spring is springing all over our Southern Hemisphere. I trust that the jacarandas are blooming. I want to start with a few announcements. From now on, show notes will be available in the blog post containing each new episode, usually within moments of that new episode being published. Show notes are the equivalent of a transcript. This means that if you know anyone who would like to read the episode due to deafness, learning style, or speaking English as a second language, all episodes either are or, in the case of interviews, will be available. The interviews are harder to transcribe, and I'm backtracking on last season with those two, so please have patience as I get it all together. But I know that you can read this transcript immediately at AncestorsAliveGenealogy.com. Second, I have added a PDF download function. Every episode is copyrighted and registered, so don't get cute with me. But if you do better with reading and marking up a hard copy than you do with listening, you can now do that with all of the show notes. Again, I'm going for maximum accessibility here, so pass it on. And now you can hear the podcast on TuneIn and, as I think I said previously, Deezer. If you want to use either platform to listen, you can do it. And for yet more written content from a variety of sources, be sure to follow me at patreon.com and subscribe to the Ancestors Alive Daily. You can find links to both of these sites in the show notes. Oh, and did you know that I have a swag shop? Yes, I have a swag shop. It's at zazzle.com slash store slash podcast. It's not just logo swag. You can find all sorts of items that bear weird or fun vintage art and photography. There are daily site-wide sales, but if you're looking for a pint glass or a deck of cards, a ball cap or a sweatshirt, even some sassy leggings, my shop is definitely the place to go. I'm constantly creating fun new items to make your life festive. Magnets, mugs, notebooks, the list is just too long. Stop on by and follow the shop to get updates on new products and sales. Now to the business. Today is all about me flogging you about baby names. I hope that you laugh, but I hope you get some genuinely creative ideas about sourcing names for children in your own family's roots. Generally, I think offbeat names for humans and animals are the best. Created names, fusion names, unusual names, names that have never been known to humankind until now, these are all great. But today I'm taking up an issue that I have most particularly with Mormons and that I feel compelled to share with all others as an alternative to name books and other generic sources. Seek names from your ancestors and from their home places. This is primarily for members of the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints. Though everybody can get ideas here for naming babies from ancestors, you know I like to go off on my people every now and then. And this being an LDS conference weekend has made me a bit sharper than usual in my genealogical snark. Understand, 
I don't have kids. That wasn't to be my path, apparently, but for decades, I had a baby naming book because I wanted more than anything to have children. I've thought about this a lot, and now, not having named any children of my own, I sit in judgment of you. I have to say that one thing that really chaps my hide is seeing generation after generation of innocent children being named for a figure in the Book of Mormon or one of the past prophets of the church. It's nice to honor those we admire in public or religious life, but doesn't it strike anyone other than myself that it shows a bit of untoward hero worship or cult of personality while simultaneously disrespecting our genetic and experiential forebears? To me, it smacks of obsessing on an external culture. Is that really what we want our families to be? Let me put it this way. I love and admire Mary the mother of Jesus. I love and admire Rosalind Carter, the former first lady who still builds houses for the poor at age 92. I love and admire Dorothy Day, a founder of the Catholic worker movement. And heaven knows I admire Connie Boswell and Patsy Cline, two of my favorite singers. But when I was hoping to have a child, back when dinosaurs roamed the earth, and I was definitely hoping to be graced with a daughter, I didn't choose any of those first names for my theoretical daughter. I looked to both sides of my tree and to my paternal ethnicity for ancestors. That book I had, it was a book of Irish names. It showed me how to render English language names into Irish and vice versa, complete with meanings. My mother's name was Catherine Lucille, and she was my best friend in the world. Her mother's name was Lucille Margaret, and she taught me a great deal about cooking and baking. She also loved baseball and created crossword puzzles, one of which was published in the New York Times. And my father's great-grandmother was Margaret Agnes Ruan. She volunteered as a nurse in a military hospital in Philadelphia during the Civil War, which is how she met my second great-grandfather, Charles McLaughlin. I think that must have taken some guts, trying to help all of those poor wounded men and boys to deal with pain, fear, PTSD, permanent physical damage, and even oncoming death. Her surname has carried down as a first or middle name in my family to this day. Those women meant and mean something dear to me. And of course, I have always been captivated by my Irish lineage. I put all of that together in Irish, and I came up with a name I loved, Mareid Katrina, or Margaret Catherine. In this way, I honored women in my family whom I had known or whose stories were important to my family's history. Or at least I would have done if my ex-husband hadn't decided he never wanted kids, thus blowing up the marriage. I hope he's not listening. But sorry not sorry, and shoot me for speaking the baldest truth. Nothing gripes me more than LDS people naming their kids Helaman, or Dallin, or Moroni, or Nephi. Seriously, folks, stop it. It's the Mormon equivalent of Jennifer was when I was a kid. There were so many Jennifers that we had to go to Jennifer S and Jennifer D and then to tall Jennifer S as opposed to short Jennifer S to differentiate them all. Well, not quite, but you see what I'm saying. How about those early 2000s and the name Bella? Let's have a show of hands for how tiresome preschools got when the Twilight series was all the rage. No, y'all. Just no. 
Please, honor your ancestors. Names have power, and naming a child for an ancestor or ancestral place can help to induct your child into wondering about your family's background and feel a spirit of connection to what and who came before. After all, you're going to tell that child all about his or her name and its derivation. You might as well make it something more interesting than, well, that's what everybody else was doing. If you want to say, I'm a Utah Mormon with your kid's name, using scriptures isn't the only way to roll. In fact, it's kind of trite. Using your own family's more ancient traditions, languages, and home places actually shows a commitment to family history, which is the work of Elijah. And that's pretty much more Mormon than anything else. An article from momjunction.com that was published in July 2019, the link is provided in the show notes, gave lists of top boys and girls' names. Stop me if you've got one of these on your kid's softball team. Alma, Ammon, Brigham, Leighton, or any of the prophet or apostle names from the church, past or present. I know, you want to go for Woodruff or Uchtdorf, but don't. For girls, sticking the letter Y randomly in either boys' or girls' names is apparently a thing. Ashlyn, Jocelyn, Paisley, but seriously, stop it now. There's a deliberately hilarious 2015 article on bycommonconsent.com, link provided in the show notes, that has a table for Utah Mormons to try to create names for their kids. Column one contains these prefixes, May, Kai, Tay, Bryn, Jay, Kin, and Cam. The second column has these suffixes, Lee, C, Lin, Lur, Din, Sun, and Bree. The idea is that you combine one from column A and one from column B, maybe at random, to make a sort of Chinese menu name. Now, this could yield Kylie. It could also yield Bryn Bree. That's a pretty bad idea, isn't it? So, Don't do it. But honestly, if you want to laugh, devour the entire article. It includes suggestions for naming your children after furniture. It's a must read. There's a similar message here for non-Mormons. Earthlings, dig it. In the United States, in 2018, the top 10 boys' names were Liam, Noah, William, James, Oliver, Benjamin, Elijah, Lucas, Mason, and Logan. The top 10 girls' names were Emma, Olivia, Ava, Isabella, Sophia, Charlotte, Mia, Amelia, Harper, and Evelyn. And in and of themselves, those are some groovy names. I'm not slamming those names at all, but if you aren't descended of people who bore these names, why are you overusing them? And why? Why name children for food items? I'm talking to you, Gwyneth Paltrow. Apple? Really? How about naming a kid for bedding? Yes, Michael Jackson, hear me from the beyond. Naming a kid blanket is just not a family commemorative choice. Pilot inspector? With a K? Seriously, Jason Lee, your kid may be inspired to achieve true, independent selfhood by that, but that moniker might also do some permanent damage. 
I've had cats called gyoza, lox, bagels, and a female cat named Mr. Toast. But dude, they're cats. Feed them and they don't care what you call them as long as it's not late for dinner. Cats don't get teased at school. Human beings are another story. Now, I get it. Some of you might have truly tense relationships with family. You might have been fostered or adopted and might not love your ties with those people. And of course, you might not know the names of your genetic ancestors. You might simply disagree with me and think I'm being majoritarian in my view of honoring ancestors in an Anglo-European way. And if that's so, that's cool. I'm not here to judge you or to pick a fight. I am here to say that when you're considering names, there are a lot of ways to go about it. Commemoration is one of them, and it has a lot of avenues that can yield some pretty interesting fruit. But again, not apple. How do you solve the problem of simultaneous originality and honoring your ancestors? Get more involved in family history. The larger Latter-day Saint population is the least involved population when it comes to family history because, one, it's always taught as something obligatory and dull, and two, it's very hard to find time to work with a knowledgeable consultant to teach what needs to be taught in a way that sticks. But that's why you're listening here, right? Right. And I say that the easiest though not best, way to do this, oh Latter-day Saints who think that all of your family history is already done, is to wander your family search tree. Log into Family Search and take a look at your tree. Start looking at your parents' and grandparents' generations. What were the names of their siblings, of the towns where they were born, married, and died? You can't hurt Family Search if you're just looking, so tumble about a bit and see what's there. Then, looking at the original scans of the census records in particular, you will find that they show the profession or occupation of every person in your family. They also show at the top of the page where each census was taken. This allows you to consider and understand more about who your ancestors were and where they came from. Sooner or later, as you continue to go backward, you will find data you didn't know. To go deeper, and follow a tradition that is used in the north of England a lot, pursue the maternal lines, mom's mom's mom, all the way back. Look at surnames. Do any of them give you a little tingle when you look at them? If so, maybe there's an ancestor on the other side saying, hey, look at me. I may sound like I'm joking, but this happens to me all the time. Another version is the Celtic and Scandinavian version. Look at surnames on both sides. You'll have to look at the show notes on my blog to see these spellings because they're a bit steep. The surname Gunnar's daughter, for instance, literally means daughter of Gunnar. You can follow Dutch, Swedish, Norwegian, Icelandic, and some Celtic lines that way. The Wikipedia article entitled Icelandic Name, see the show notes for the link, gives a lot of good, basic information about this. In Welsh, Apdafid means son of David, and Ferch Owen means daughter of Owen. In Irish, Nihonal, don't ask me about the pronunciation, it's way too complex, means daughter of Donal. McLaughlin, or MacLaughlin, my original surname, means son of the Northmen, where Northmen often is assumed to mean Viking. And in Scottish, 
Nick Angus means daughter of Angus or Innes, just as my name, Nilochlin, means daughter of the Viking. If you look at the entry entitled Scottish Gaelic Name in Wikipedia, check the show notes for that link, you'll see a lot about all of the many Celtic forms. And if you have a name that isn't in the original Celtic dialect, but you know that it is Irish, Scottish, Manx, Welsh, Cornish, or Breton, do some Googling. By the way, there's a cute mnemonic for recalling the names of the six Celtic nations. It's a little ditty that I will sing for you now so that you can remember. The flower, the free, the heather, the heather, the Bretons and Scots and Irish together, the Manx and the Welsh and Cornish forever. Six nations are we, proud Celtic and free. That's just something that I was taught. I always have to sing through it in order to remember which nations are Celtic. There are similar patronymic forms where the first name is a given name, the second name means son of or daughter of, and the last name is the family's surname in Russian and Eastern Slavic naming traditions. There's a great article about it in Wikipedia as well called Eastern Slavic Naming Customs, and that link is also in the show notes. Spanish names get into both patronymics and location-related names, as do German and other European traditions. There is a very helpful article on Wikipedia entitled Spanish Name and Customs. The link for that is in the show notes, and you might want to consult it. But of course, for Latin America, the order of matronymics and patronymics reverse from nation to nation and tradition to tradition. These are not my strong suit, but I'm sure that you can get some assistance from a variety of resources online. If you need to get into anything outside of Europe, I'm just not your girl. Names from Asian, African, and Middle Eastern continents and traditions are not in my wheelhouse. But there are pros out there who can help you, as well as our friend Google. Touring Family Search is fine, but really, it's not enough. If you really want to know your family well, it means actively shrubbing and not just perfunctorily treeing your ancestry. The better way to do this is on Ancestry.com first and then on FamilySearch. Back to my LDS peeps. As ever, I want you to do more than just wander. I want you to work in Ancestry according to the rules I laid out in season one of the podcast for a few reasons. First, you can auto-download your first four generations from FamilySearch to Ancestry with your free LDS Church account. And second, because the research that you perform in Ancestry may well turn up more connections to single ancillary ancestors, great-aunts and great-uncles, or to children who died before their 10th birthdays. You will see thousands more records than you would just in family search. Yes, the work is never done because more records come online at both sites daily. You will do the work of Elijah and you'll find far more inspiration for your future family from those who came before. Also, using the magical Mormon icon in Ancestry, you can work from the outside to merge duplicates and connect fragments of families in family search, which is part of our job. Please remember, family search is filled with errors from well-intentioned yet ill-taught amateurs and the bane of my existence, the random record extractions of 2012 and 2016. 
It's best to work on your own family in an enclosed, hermetically sealed place like Ancestry first, because your work will not affect an international tree until you have perfected it and made proper transfers of data and citations. For each generation, starting with your parents in Ancestry, add every sibling by using census records and BMDDs, also known as birth, marriage, divorce, and death certificates. Examine these records, as I said, to do in Family Search, the original record images, and you'll learn a lot. Add them as is appropriate to your tree and build your tree in Ancestry. Then you can transfer your Ancestry research, complete with citations, to Family Search when you're finished with any individual's work. For specifics, listen to this podcast from the first episode on to learn how to do what you need to do. Another beautiful way to pay tribute to your ancestors in your current or new family is to combine names that have meaning in your family tree along the lines of the silly two-column layout in the By Common Consent article, but with true respect to your ancestors. If you have a Louise and a Shauna, for instance, you can honor both by creating the name Lushana for a child. I'm more literal-minded than that, but creativity, it's the spice of life. Getting to know who's behind you in order to make those kind of creative decisions is the key. So in conclusion, don't name your child egg or toaster pastry. Don't use the same name that everybody else is using to honor some cultural or religious figure because then the name loses its power and the act becomes banal. Use the future family preparation time as a time to get to know your own past. Show your ancestors some love, and they'll do the same for you. Thanks so much for stopping by today. The Skelly Rally episode submissions are rolling in, but I'd love some more. Tell me a story, any kind of story at all, about an ancestor. Record it as an MP3 or an MP4 on your phone. Attach it to an email marked Skelly Rally and send it to me at Ancestors Alive Genealogy at gmail.com by October 26th. I'm having fun assembling these tales, but I need yours too. So send me a Skelly Rally, don't be a Jeffrey, and above all, expect surprises. <laughs>